I think the point is for most companies, you have to be prepared to be thinking, okay, whatever I'm doing, whether it's outbound or inbound, uh, and both are important. I think they say they taste great together like butter and jelly. It can be six months, 12 months, 18 months before I'm seeing a real return on this. It can take a lot longer than people want. You're listening to the Client Catching Podcast, the show that uncovers how high-performing service-based business leaders are successfully navigating the ocean of complexity around growing their business. Now, as anyone with the talent and guts to start a business knows, it takes a lot more to grow one than just being great at what you do, and you can't do it alone. So this podcast will show you how other captains of their own ship, just like you, have found the right strategy to catch more clients, simplified everything, and transform their business. So if you're ready to do the same, then jump aboard and join me, Adam King, host and the captain at Think Like a Fish, and let's go fishing. Hey, how you doing? Adam here, and I wanted to quickly let you know about a brand new 15-minute video training where I show you how to get 5, 10, 15, 25 or more predictable sales appointments every month in just 30 minutes a day. And how you can do all of that without cold calling, networking, relying on referrals or any of that kind of stuff. Now, I've added that to the podcast gift page, which you can find at thinklikeafish.co.uk slash podcast gift. That's thinklikeafish.co.uk slash podcast gift. And you'll also see all of the other resources and gifts that I've created on that page as well. So hope you go and check that out and, uh, and enjoy what you find. So until you do that, Let's get back to the show. Hello, welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Now, I want to tee up today's interview with a few questions for you to consider as you listen to the interview that we're going to have today. So I want to ask you, are you growing as fast as you can or are there big opportunities you know you're missing? If you decided to triple your revenue within the next three years, could you actually do it? Would you know where to start? Would you know exactly how to achieve it? And obviously, these are lofty ambitions, but achieving them isn't a pipe plane. A pipe dream, you know, doubling the size of your business, tripling it, even growing it 10 times larger is not about magic. It's not about privileges, luck or working harder. There is an actual template the world's fastest growing companies follow to achieve and sustain much, much faster growth. Now, I know this because my guest today has literally written the book on how to do it. Or to be more precise, he's written two books on how to do it. He's the best-selling author of Predictable Revenue, today often referred to as the sales bible of Silicon Valley, and most recently, From Impossible to Inevitable. Now, both books are based on outbound prospecting and sales systems that have created billions in value for companies like Salesforce.com, Oracle, Red Hat, and many other companies. He's also a highly sought-after keynote speaker and the co-CEO of PredictableRevenue.com. And on top of that, He's married with 10 children, half of them through adoption, but I'm sure he'll uh, touch on those uh, and on how he's got to that in the interview. So I hope you've got a pen and paper with you to take some notes. It's going to be one of those episodes you'll be hearing value bomb after value bomb from and why I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my guest today, Aaron Ross, onto the show. So Aaron, welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Yeah, Adam. Hey, really happy to be here. Thanks very much. Ah, no, welcome. Welcome. You're, uh, you're joining us from uh, Edinburgh. Is that right? I have just moved here actually a few weeks ago from Los Angeles. Yeah, Made the move with only only uh, the five youngest of the nine, uh, <laughs> ten kids. So sometimes they can't keep track. Yeah, and that's got to be a heck of a logistical um, process as well. Moving you don't from even LA, you don't to... even want to know. You don't. <laughs> you, I still have. I still wake up with like a tick, like shivering with nightmares around. Yeah, it's it was a project on top of continuing to run the business and on top of regular parenting. Well, it's a good job or that you've got in the second book. Yeah, the, the second book already sort of done published by then, because, I mean, if you'd have added yeah. that into the mix, probably would have driven yourself completely nuts. Uh, more nuts than I already am, yeah. <laughs> we're always, so, I think any parent has to be a little nuts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, talking of being a little nuts, um, you've taken on, uh, well, a lot of people say, you know, writing a book is, you know, everyone's got a book in them and all that kind of thing. So you wrote your first book a number of years ago but then you went and did the second book because as i referred to in the intro there it's it's a book that is it was very very popular in silicon valley um uh, there was a you know, it, was, it was very popular and, and you yourself followed 
the framework that you discuss in the book in the in the predictable revenue book um how you sort of helped um, salesforce.com generate was it 100 million in in revenue yeah and, i mean it's been a lot more since then but yeah it's been a few years of extra 100 million in revenue in a very predictable way but what i like about it is you've sort of not just stopped at that you are now obviously still using your your system but you, you there's been an evolution of it and that's where the second book has come to so for those that don't know the first book um or the second what what was the first book sort of talking about and, and what do you see that has changed or evolved in order to yeah. you know, cause you to, 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 to have the second book? Sure. I could, yeah, I'll do a really quick uh, summary. Um, but first, so my uncle's a book agent and what he says is everyone does have a book in them and most people's books should stay there. <laughs> fair now, play, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but he gives ev everyone sends him biographies that he, um, having said that, actually, I do believe that everyone, especially people in the services business, everyone does have a book in them, uh, or at least the ability to uh, teach people with a lot of value, right? Because you're always, no matter where you are, you're always one to many steps ahead of other people. Um, we tend to compare ourselves to people who are ahead of us rather than people who are, you know, behind us. So we need to do that a little more often to appreciate how far we've come. Even now, it's kind of funny when you say 10 kids, and I'm like, it just seems so normal, but I am assuming there's a bunch of people who would listen to this and think, what the hell? Well, absolutely. I mean, we, we had the conversation before we turned on and said, I've got two. I mean, two to 10 just seems like an incredible jump. And, you know, it's yeah. tough enough with two. So I don't know how you do it, but. Honestly, me neither. You just get used <laughs> to it, I think. Uh, and we did, we did skip the baby step with four, three. Well, we adopted four kids and only one was adopted as a baby. That baby stage, the first year or two is just rough. It's just rough. Yeah. Uh, but going back to the books, so I think I am most known still for this book called Predictable Revenue, Turn Your Business into a Sales Machine with the $100 million best practices of Salesforce.com. And a couple of the big ideas that that introduced, this was published a few years ago. I worked at Salesforce.com in the early 2000s when it was uh, about 150 people I started. And I think it's important, I started there because I had started a business and raised millions of dollars in capital, venture capital. Um, the business failed. And one of the lessons I learned, I took away was, if I'm gonna start another business, I need to know how to build a sales team, how to kind of run a sales machine if I'm going to be found a business or be CEO, because that was how money comes in. I think before that, um, and again, um, it was a little bit this belief of, if you build a great product, people will come, or if you, make your clients happy, people will find you, which isn't, isn't true um, if you want to drive growth. Yeah, so wish it was. Business failed. <laughs> yeah. Business failed. Like, hmm, I need to know sales. So I got a job at salesforce.com and I went from being CEO of an internet company to basically the lowest level sales job because that's all they had. But it wasn't about feeding my ego. Uh, was, I just want to learn. Right? And getting a job can be a great way to get paid to learn if you treat it that way. So. Fast for a few years, learned a lot, um, left Salesforce, consulted, and then published the book, Predictable Revenue. So one of the breakthrough ideas um, is that sales teams, if you have a sales team, many of you won't, uh, you need to specialize your sales people, such as prospect, prospectors who prospect, closers who close. Um, like any sports team, you've got attackers and defenders, but too often, salespeople are treated as people who should do everything do their own prospecting, do their own closing, maybe manage customers, maybe respond to website uh, marketing leads. And it's just too much. So that's principle number one. You have to specialize your salespeople, even if you have two of them, usually it means you have a junior and senior, to be able to have effective selling. The other lesson was, um, if you wanna drive growth, it's you need predictable appointments in order to drive predictable revenue. You can have a great product, the best service, best sales process, best sales people. But if you don't have a way to create a predictable supply of leads or appointments, you're going to struggle. You can kind of get a lot of things wrong, but if you have a way to pre create predictable appointments, you can do really well. The way at Salesforce I did, I created this outbound prospecting system where we could email and phone, make phone calls and so on to get as many 
appointments with the qual with sort of qualified buyers as we needed to fill the sales pipeline. And that was what the predictable revenue book was about, sort of details about this outbound system. And then jump forward, um, I teamed up with a guy named Jason Lemkin of Saster, uh, biggest SaaS founders community in the world, to write a book called From Impossible to Inevitable. And then we'll focus mostly on what is in that book today. It's most, it's especially relevant to anyone who's starting a company, anyone in a services business, um, anyone who again wants to make more money with their business. And I think one of the lessons we learned, and this was intended to be like a growth book, uh, sort of, you know, if you wanted to give one book to all your C-level founders and C-level people in your company to read that would really encapsulate why businesses struggle to grow and what to do about it, how do you drive more growth, this would be the book. Um, my co-author Jason started a company called EchoSign that was, he sold to Adobe for more than, uh, after it reached 100 million in revenue. So this book, impossible to inevitable. Number one, and I think this is where we should spend a bunch of time. The first painful truth of that book is that you're struggling to grow because you're not ready to grow. And you're not gonna be ready to grow until you nail a niche. That's step one. And I love the, um, just the simplicity of you're not ready to grow. And I think a lot of people don't even ask themselves that question. Are you ready? No. Like, do you no. have the infrastructure? Do you have and they the, don't know if they are not. No, because they don't. And, and they think, well, if I'm going to grow, I have to go out and get as many people as possible. So that means casting my net as wide as possible. And therefore, that okay. is the, the way to grow. Whereas actually counterintuitively, the number one thing that you say at the very beginning of the book, and, and, and yeah, it's, it's a massive part of, to me, it's marketing 101. Get your niche, get your target customer very, very specific because you cannot go out and you know, even if you're Salesforce, even if you're a massive company, you're not going to appeal to everyone. Yeah. And I guarantee 90% of the people listening have done, here's, a, here's an example of how you know you haven't nailed the niche, is you've hired a salesperson or people, and they've basically been a waste of money. And then there's other reasons. There's actually a lot of reasons that could happen. But um, so that's one of the examples. Another one is you spent a bunch of money on online advertising, and you didn't make any money with that. So they're the, both two clues that you haven't nailed a niche yet. Uh, another clue that you have nailed a niche is that customers kind of find you out of the blue. They don't know you very well as a person or your brand, but your product or service can stand on its own and they still buy, even if they don't build a relationship with you. If you are relationship dependent to get leads or to close them, then you're going to have a hard time growing harder time growing especially when you're so, running like a, a lot of the audience of uh, of this podcast they, they run service businesses and so yeah, a lot of their business agencies so yeah, yeah word of mouth referrals that tends to be what gets them to a certain level it's when they sort of look to grow is when yeah. the real yeah. challenge starts because there is nothing beyond that necessarily because they haven't put those pieces into place or really thought yeah. about right i want to grow but what well first of all am i ready to do i want to or do i want am i quite happy where i am like that's a legitimate question i can imagine and um you know, how am i going to grow as in what do i want the business to look like and that maybe would inform a lot of those uh, uh questions to ask yeah and i think um again going back in my history because there are times when i didn't know how to kind of nail my niche right so this is one of my personal lessons learned i write about this in this in this part but for example um, most businesses plateau at a certain level if you're a consultant oftentimes it's at let's call it you know high five figures six low six figures in income per year if you're a product or software business it's usually in sort of a one to ten million dollars in annual revenue level and that's you a typical level where word of mouth and referrals will get you to a certain point but then you plateau to get to break that plateau and continue to grow, you need to find a way to be able to market yourself or generate leads and then close them to audiences and people who haven't heard of you and aren't familiar yet with your name or your brand. And that is far more challenging than people realize. So for me, um, and by, uh, this actually comes up as relevant to the family because I got married less than 10 years ago. Okay, zero to 
going down zero to 10 kids in less than 10 years by a different story, hyperscaling a family. Um, uh, <laughs> my a, wife a at the time, in there. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, there's my wife at the time had two kids from a prior marriage and then she got pregnant quickly right after we were married on, on purpose this time. And I remember this moment and I was probably making about 70 ish thousand uh, dollars a year because I didn't have to make more than that as a, in a single, I was experimenting with a bunch of other ideas. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to make a lot of money. Um, got married. I remember this, the moment around, Oh shit, I need to make more money. Cause I have a family now. Like I have to make more money in a more predictable way. And that kind of forced me to nail my niche. Cause before I had done this project, I'd done kind of just general sales consulting. Right. I hadn't wanted to do outbound prospecting because and eh, it wouldn't be limited. So I'd kind of general sales consulting. I'd done something called Unique Genius, how to make money through enjoyment. I did something called CEO Flow. These other areas that were interesting. And I made a little money at them. But when I had to go back and like make money, I refocused on my core, which is where my main expertise was and sort of main credibility. And this was outbound prospecting. And this refocused on predictable revenue. And I find I've seen this a lot of people where, you know, smart people, um, the problem is, I mean, the good news is you can do lots of things well. And the problem is you can do lots of things well. And there's these fears around, well, I don't want to focus in this one specific area because it feels too small or I don't want to be trapped or there's not a big enough market. But what I did when I focused on outbound prospecting is my niche and building outbound sales teams. Uh, within four years, I grew my income by 11 times to almost a million, uh, you know, seven, $800,000 a year. Um, and there's other things I did, but the nailing and picking a niche, like a specialty, that was step one. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, I did publish the first book and I found a partner and, and I did speaking and so on. But that focus around who needs me the most so here's probably the, one of the simplest ideas I can share is think about which customers, uh, when are you a nice to have and when are you, versus when are you a need to have? Mm. So for me, doing projects, kind of, we call it like unique genius, which was people who wanted to find more fulfillment and make money. That was really nice to have with them. They needed to pay their bills. The mm. purpose and passion was a nice to have. Um, I was a need to have when companies needed to grow to meet sales targets. Right? So for you going back and sitting down, okay, for all the projects we've done in the past year or two, what kinds of companies needed us the most? They're willing to pay the most money. They were the most obviously going to purchase. We created the most value with them. And how are those projects or customers different from everyone else who kind of waffled? Maybe they didn't buy, they didn't really need us. And how can you use that information to discern who needs you the most and that and kind of refocus on that type of customer and that kind of project? And I guarantee what I loved it, about when, it's in there for you. Yeah, what, what I loved about that part was maybe people are listening now and thinking, right, yeah, okay, I kind of get that, but how do you find all that out? Well, the obvious and most simple answer is you actually go and talk to them and you interview them, you ask them questions. So you get a little bit of a picture for you know, the kind of profile of that person and what was it along the way? What are the trigger points? What are the things that were going on in their, in their world, in their business or whatever it is that you're, you're sort of dealing with at the time that caused you to become the need to have rather than a nice to have. And we all think, you know, cause we've all got egos and we've all invested a lot of time in our business and all the rest of it that we're all need to have surely, surely, but no, at different points at different stages and cycles of a business or a life depending on what you do you're a nice to have at times but you're a need to have at others so which of those people see you as a need to have and and the simple answer is is talk to the people that are already you've served as need to have right and yep. find out what's common it's it's beautifully simple in its approach you can even do something simpler before that which so first you're right um i think even if you sat down if you have a partner someone in sales better but sit down and just write down okay like think about when which customers really paid me the most money needed me the most and were the most urgent to buy you can kind of whiteboard it for 10 or 30 minutes 
mm. as a start. And then, yeah, to really kind of flesh it out, get a better understanding and get a sense of almost, I would say the thoughts people think, right? Cause we want to project a lot of frustration with selling is we project our neediness. Like we want them to need us whether or not they do. So we're kind of setting ourselves up for frustration when we have this, we're trying to uh, project this artificial hope or situation on, well, maybe they'll need us, maybe they'll buy it versus trying to be really honest about ourselves. What's their state situation? Are they good fit or not? Are they ready or not? A lot of times they may, and they may need us, but they may not be ready. Mm -hmm. It's easy for us to forget because we know how great our service is that they have a lot of other things they're dealing with. Our, our, what we do may not be their top priority yet. And maybe it will in a month or six months, or maybe it won't. And, and what I like about the approaches as well, I mean, and hands up, I'm a, I'm a, a reforming uh, digital marketer and, uh, and all the rest of it that, uh, you know, has, has spent a lot of time preaching around, well, it's all about, um, you know, using content and inbound and all this and that and all the other. And you kind of get this like almost... Oh, what's the word? It's it's almost like a, a superiority complex about above the outbound side of things. And you think, well, you know, we'll let them do it. If, if you're doing that, it's because, you you know, you have to do it and you're not writing good content and all the rest of it. But I mean, I've come full circle, 365, like completely, completely um, come back around that you have to do both. Because yeah. the content's nice. As, as well as you position it, as well as, you know, if you, even if you target advertisements and all the rest of it, you're never in 100% control of who is going to see that. Whereas I love the outbound nature of, of, of going for the people that you, you know 100% have that need. <laughs> you know, you are a need to yeah. have. And actually going and, and making the proactive first content. So why don't you sort of explain how, how you would go up or, or, or go about sort of thinking about setting up a process for this outbound approach that you, uh, yeah. uh, that you, you, you know, you, that you do. Well, yeah, and I think that's perfect because step in the, in the impossible world, part one is about nailing a niche. And then part two is about lead generation. So doing lead generation and paint, like whether it's so outbound would be outbound prospecting, right? So you're typically calling people or emailing people or maybe sending messages on social media. You could just direct mail. There's lots of ways to, do cold outreach to prospects to get an appointment with outbound. Like doing that, that's not gonna work unless you've had some sense of your, the niche you're nailing. Likewise with content marketing or inbound marketing, kind of gotta have a specialty for that to work because again, the, the world is so full of noise, it's hard to create good content that stands out. Right? The days of being able to put a blog up and get leads is 10 or 15 years past. It's a sea of content. And the thing is, the world is drowning in information. Your buyers and prospects are drowning in information. So the counter to this, and by that trend is only going to continue. More channels, more messages, more apps, more choices, more overwhelm. So the antidote is focus. Right? So that's why nailing a niche works, because you're focusing on a better buyer with a more specific message. So the next step is how do you generate leads with them? sort of interest them, the right people get a phone call typically. So I think, again, this idea of there's actually three types of leads, I call them seeds, nets, and spears. Most businesses get off the ground with seeds, which is word of mouth, like the best kinds of leads, but they're really hard to grow. So customer referrals, friends, family. The nets would be casting a wide net with marketing, could be paid uh, Google marketing could be content marketing, webinars, events. There's a lot of ways you can do this sort of one to many. And typically with nets, uh, we also call in inbound marketing or content marketing, but you get a lot of leads or more leads, but they may or may not be a good fit. So there's lots of great things about that. And then the third type of lead, right? We had seeds, we had nets, now spears, outbound prospecting, where you're kind of using a very targeted approach. Uh, there's some great pros, right? Typically you should be able to pick and choose who you want to talk to. Uh, you have bigger deal sizes because you're avoiding small deals. You have fewer, better appointments. However, it's not for everyone. So each of these types of leads, seeds, word of mouth, nets, inbound marketing, spears, outbound prospecting, each have the pros and cons. 
And it's kind of up to the business to sort of decide which one should you be focusing on wherever you are. You can't do everything at the same time. So I think what I would encourage you to do is outbound prospecting can be really effective. There's lots of ways to do it. It's harder when you have a services business, when you have a lot of offerings, because services tend to be a little more vague, which means it's a little harder for the person you're reaching out to to really click into what you're doing and is it relevant. So it usually takes a little more work to flesh out who the ideal niche in your messaging to make it really crisp and clear when you reach out to someone and through LinkedIn is really popular now, email, phone, whatever, uh, so they can get interested and get an appointment. And just on I that, say, just on that, Aaron, would you, would you think, yeah. because a lot of people, as you say, they, they, if they sell a service, they can have a lot of different types of services. Would mm -hmm. you almost think about it and say, well, actually, you can still have all of those services, but if you're going to be thinking about doing something like the outbound approach, it would be a good idea to, to focus on one part of that service as the thing that totally. you do your outreach with, because that's in a way totally. niching. Yeah, you don't have to niche your whole company and change your website. You can start with just a campaign. So you can do outbound as a way to test your messaging. Say, hey, we're going to focus on, um, you can do a niche as a type of industry, like financial, like banks. But it also could be by geography, like businesses within London. It could be size of company, right? Only companies that have at least 50 employees or less than 200. So there's all kinds of ways. There's really probably so many ways that you could define your ideal customer. And you can test that through different outbound campaigns, uh, through prospecting. You can also use digital marketing, test those things with Facebook ads. A lot of services businesses will struggle with Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads and online ads because again, it's hard to really click into specific messaging that really um, uh, connects with people. Mm. It, it takes a lot longer than people realize. You know, I feel like, I don't know how long people would assume you're gonna run um, a Facebook ad campaign or LinkedIn ad campaign if you think you'll get leads within a few weeks or days or months, but it can take months and months and months of testing to kind of hone in on an out, uh, online ad campaign that you feel is, is making you money. Mm. There's a lot more trust to, involved, isn't there? It's more trust. Um, it's, again, when you have a services company, people, there's a little more investigation people need to do to get their head around, like, what do you do? Like if you say accounting, but what does that really mean? Like what type of accounting? It's not quite the same as when you say, hey, we sell a coffee maker. I mean, I still want to know, okay, do you do lattes, what type and pods, but it's a little more concrete, which means it's a little easier for, for them to get their head around relevant or not. It's a little harder with the service. Not and then I'm talking about generalizations. Mm -hmm. So I think the point is for most companies, you have to be prepared to be thinking, okay, whatever I'm doing, whether it's outbound or inbound, uh, and both are important. I think they say they taste great together, like butter and jelly. It can be six months 12 months 18 months before i'm seeing a real return on this it can take a lot longer than people want mm. it could be like hiring a sales team um building an outbound sales team so there's a, and it could take as long as three years depending on the market so i'm referring to i just did a webinar with someone who said it probably takes them took them three years to build an outbound sale, selling team that was really you know, highly effective because they were in a very competitive uh, VoIP, sort of VoIP communications mm. market where mm. everyone's pretty commoditized. So when you think about nailing a niche, how you're different, your specialty, that's really the best way to make it easier to grow and to make money on anything else you do, whether you're spending money on inbound, outbound, allbound, omnibound, whatever you're doing. How do you, you own that, don't like, you? You're in control of it. Like once you yeah, well, sort of, you know, started that process of setting it up and, and it, it is a hundred percent true, isn't it? That we often uh, underestimate the amount of time things will take to click, to work. There's a lot of testing involved. I mean, if, if, if somebody could come along and give you the absolute so much answer, more, then, yeah. you know, they, they yeah, will charge you a lot more for it. <laughs> yeah. It rarely happens. I'll give you also, I think what I'll do is there's one last tip on, on marketing because there's so many ways you can market whether there's prospecting marketing. Um, I'm on a board of a company called Visualize ROI, and he had this list. Here's, you know, it's a smaller company, maybe 10 or 20 people, like a million or two revenue. Um, smaller compared to like SaaS companies. I'm sure there's lots of people who'd love to have a million dollar company. Um, and by the way, 
I actually practice, I'm not just a teacher. I practice what I preach. I'm co-CEO of a company that's headed towards 7 million and, you know, 50 to hundred people this year. Um, not just a, like a watcher. Like we, we do this too. Well, which but, is why I said everyone needs to have a pen and paper to listen to what you're saying Aaron, at the beginning, yeah. because you know, you're not just a, you know, a teacher, you are a practitioner. So yeah, no better way to learn teachers by doing. So not to digress for more time, but my, I had a daughter, an 18 year old daughter who wanted to learn business. Did she go to school for business? I'm like, well, the best way to learn is start a business. So she did small one. So going back to marketing, because again, it's so easy to get overwhelmed with all the ways you can market. And the CEO had this list of, you know, five or maybe 10 kind of marketing initiatives, ideas, or tasks. And I think really there's just too much, like go back and think, okay, what has been the best thing that has worked for us to generate leads in the past, maybe like six or 12 months. Okay. For him, it was some Google, spending money on Google. All right, so like just double that. So our instructions, our guidance team at the board was, okay, double, do more of that, double that, and pick one other thing to do, mm. right? He'd, he'd sort of committed to doing, uh, having a booth at some conferences. So it was like, uh, and he was trying to hire a prospector. So there's these things he had in place. There was something that's proven that Google spend. There's something he already had in, in, underway, which is the conferences. And the one new thing was really getting this prospector in place. And like everything else, just don't put all that off until sort of the second quarter. It, just do less. I know it's hard. There's so many things that you think could work out, but just first double or triple what you've already seen work. Mm. And you pick one other thing to do besides that for now, for this month or a couple of months. And it makes sense because it's like, why wouldn't you do more of what would work? Well, that, that has been working. And obviously there could become, you know, challenges around sort of scaling certain channels and, and whatnot, and, but it works. So do more of that and free up the bandwidth to focus on getting the other one working. And you don't need a hundred different channels. You really don't. You don't need to be using a thousand different tactics because they're all going to have varying, you know, I don't know, varying yeah. uh, uh, actual, actual um, effectiveness. Yeah. We just, well, and we, we just, again, going back to focus. Yeah, and going back to focus, we spread ourselves too thin, right? Speaking of someone who has a business and lots of kids and other projects and so on, that's just kind of life as it goes. When you're an entrepreneur and you, you have to, you're juggling lots of things. And if you're an entrepreneur and parent, so how can you focus on doing fewer things better? Um, that's why I got nailing a niche. It's also, I mentioned this idea of sales specialization. So kind of prospectors who prospect, closers who close, account managers who just do that, you know, because that way they can focus on doing fewer things better. That's why it works. Mm. So marketing, fewer marketing programs that work better. Now, if you're in a services business, generally, I'm a, still a big fan of events where you get to meet people in person or webinar. I mean, you can, webinars are great too. And doing events and speaking publicly yourself helps you crystallize your message. But, you know, I'm here in the UK. And one of the first things I want to do is set up some in-person workshops in Edinburgh. And uh, we'll do one in Edinburgh, Newcastle, London. Um, and, find, and so basically I love in-person events still and find partners who are relevant in terms of their expertise or the audiences. It's a lot easier to grow your audience when you Growing from scratch is hard. If you can tap into a partner's network who already has that audience and work with them, whether it's a live event, webinar, whatever, uh, there's lots of ways to do that. That's mm -hmm. so much, makes it so much easier. Absolutely. That's our main, our main marketing strategy at predictablerevenue.com is partner marketing. Mm -hmm. we, and we use Outbound to reach out to partners who we think would want to promote us or have me speak. Um, it, it's such like a powerful way of doing it. Books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, such a powerful way of doing it, and and that could be one of your channels, one of your things, because it is a it is a for you know, it isn't a marketing campaign all on, on itself to attract those partners, to find those partners, and doing it in an event way. It's fantastic. There's nothing yeah. that focuses the mind more on your message than uh, <laughs> standing in front of a room of people. No, one. that's true. No, and a fixed true. deadline. Fixed deadline, right? Exactly. Have to be there, you know. Um, yeah. And it forces, you know, because uh, we, we all tend to uh, get a bit wrapped up and procrastinate and, you know, trying to figure out what to do next and all the rest of it. Yeah. If you have a deadline, not just 
a physical place you have to be to deliver a talk, but you've got partners and everything that are also waiting on things to happen, then my God, that is going to get you moving, right? Yep. And uh, a, a forcing function. Absolutely. That's that's really the only almost the only thing that works for me, or the main thing that works for me. And those deadlines, yeah. partners, especially when I have. Um, I mean, I, I, a long time ago, I used to be able to wait until I was inspired to write. Mm. And, you know, with the big family and business, I just, I can't, I can't, I don't have the luxury of waiting until I have the time or energy or permission or enthusiasm or inspiration to do things like mm. I used to. Sometimes I just need to get done. So yeah, events are great. Like I said, deadlines, partners, you have to do it. And, and you have to kind of pull yourself forward that way. And it cuts through all the, the other um, busyness. The, the, the Stephen King book, not any of his books, but Stephen King on writing. Mm-mm. One of no. the things he says, it's like, you, it, it's not necessarily about the time you spend writing. It's like, you just write 2,000 words a day. Like, whatever you do, 2,000 words a day. Every day. Some of it's going to be crap. But you show up and you do 2,000 words every single day. Yep. Every single day. Yeah, I don't do that. I'd like to, but I don't. Never work for me, but <laughs> maybe someday. Well, maybe that's how we yeah, do it. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> no, I think it's, you know, you, you sort of pick the thing you're best at. I'm a... I think I'm a book person. I really haven't done a lot of writing the last few years, which mostly was because um, of just like babies. I just, I really was just kind of burned out in, in a lot of ways. I've started to kind of come back to that. Mm. Um, but I, some people create a video, some people are better at art. I mixed art in with mine. So kind of, you don't have, there's so many ways to market. They can all be successful, mm. right? I would encourage people to do live events in person or webinars because it really like nothing else forces you to crystallize who you're going to invite what your message is to them and what they should do afterwards mm-hmm. like, i think that was the single like if you're struggling with leads and clarity i think there's really nothing else you could do that would be as powerful as to say all right this year and let's just talk about a year because it may feel like a lot of time i'm gonna, once a month i'm going to do um you know because it might be two years but who knows once a month or every two weeks, um, I'm going to have an event. It might be a live event, a meetup. It could be simple. It could be webinars. And I'm going to you know, practice getting my message out and, and crystallizing it. So almost like nothing else that you could do that would be better towards at least moving you forward. May, it may not grow your business yet, but it will move your clarity forward. Mm. Absolutely. And hopefully and, audience and partners. Absolutely. And I guess if you didn't want to sort of do the whole, um, you know, setting it up yourself, get invited on other people's stages show up add some value to somebody else offer to to speak yeah. you can start in small events you know you're not going to stand up at um you know wembley stadium and talk in front of uh, you know thousands and thousands of people on your first go first of all you yeah. probably brick yourself and <laughs> you wouldn't want to yeah. do it but it's never going to happen but you know slowly building up and, and i think that comes back to the whole thing it takes a lot longer than you realize um or we we underestimate the time it takes and all the rest of it but um one of the things that it brings to mind um and something that that, that you put in the book which i i found really almost one of those chapters that you wouldn't necessarily consider there being in a book like this but possibly one of the most important because you talk about partnerships and accountability and, and all that kind of thing because there is massive overwhelm running a business doesn't matter if you're if you're a one person business or yeah. a thousand person business when you're the yeah. guy running it there's massive amount of overwhelm there's all sorts of pressures making decisions every single day and what that can do to people that do this there's massive you know and, and what your your chapter was all about was um you know um burnout and and depression and all the rest of it and and why it's so important mm-hmm. to keep focused um and and look after yourself and it, did that come about as something that you personally had experienced or it's, it's things that you've observed or a combination of the two? Um, yeah, myself, I think from myself and Jason, having been founders, um, having seen other founders. So the chapter, is, it's called, it's part five, it's called Do the Time. And then, so there's seven parts and each has a painful truth. And this one is, the painful truth is, it's going to take years longer than you want. So I think it helps to know, oh, okay, here's kind of this journey that people go through. You know, there's ups and downs. And for entrepreneurs, right, there's a higher preponderance of mental challenges 
or difference in the mental norm, whatever that is, so more ADHD, more depression, more bipolar, et cetera. Um, if it's taking a year longer than where, you know, if you're 40, you thought you'd be, if you were certain you'd be a millionaire by the time you're 30, now you're 40 and you're still not. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's like everyone has their own path. Kind of this journey just takes longer than people expect. There's, it's okay to feel like you're failing. And it's exacerbated because we all are at different times in different ways, whether it's at home or work. Um, I think that also powers a lot of us to try to do, be better. Mm -hmm. And it's exacerbated now because with social media, everything, 93% of what everything gets posted or 98% is all positive around how people are crushing it. They're, mm -hmm. they're beating their quotas. They got married. They just had kids. They lost weight. They just, the date. They just sold their company. They just went on this great trip. And so this thing is we're, especially entrepreneurs, we're dealing with mostly problems every day because that's what entrepreneurs do, solve problems. So we're dealing with problems all day and we're all 98% of our days we're dealing with problems and everything we're seeing online is all positive. So there's this, why am I kind of dealing with all this shit, but everyone else is crushing it. It just kind of, we don't even notice it, but this, our expectations of how long things take and how I should, you should feel are all out of whack because of this reality of distortion. You and the reality is, yards, do you? That, you know, it takes seven years to become an overnight yeah, success. It's because it's, it's boring. Yeah. Stuff is boring. Like, what did you do today? I don't know. I did email, made a call. Like, that stuff yeah. is boring. It doesn't get posted. I don't, I, I kind of, I'll do like little family posts on Instagram. Um, but like, you know, here, usually on conference calls, I don't think to post. I shall do it right now. Um, it's usually pretty boring. Or if my kids, like when, when they're happy, it's cute to post about them. But if they're crying, it's kind of usually inappropriate too. So there's lots of reasons here. I'll even, I'm talking about how I rarely post about work because it's usually pretty boring at work on Instagram. Boom. <laughs> um, I don't know. Who wants to see conference calls and people doing email all day or writing? Like, I don't know. Well, let's see how many, uh, how many comments it gets. <laughs> you know, maybe it'll blow up. You know, doing something different. Yeah. Uh, it stands yeah. out i think and and i think that's a big thing around um you know some of the, the the success that you're seeing with um you know the book the people that you work with and all that kind of thing it's, it's you're kind of going against the grain because a lot of people are getting a bit fed up with it you know just just yeah. too much of the obvious spin on reality people can see through it advertising all the rest of it they can see through it and it's just it, it's not inspiring anymore and yep. people want real solutions to real problems that they're facing. And if you can show up in a way that actually you position yourself as that solution to that very specific problem that they need right in that moment, they're going to pay attention. Yeah. Let's think about a radio station, right? If you're uh, a business and you are, can do a bunch of things, let's say you're an agency, right? And you can do website redesigns and you can do online marketing. You can do this, that, the other. Like a radio station that says, oh, yeah. We can, we can redo, for 101.3, we do jazz and rock and hip hop and country and classic. It's end up confusing customers versus mm. you know, if you're the rock station or you're the rap station, it just make, sends a clear signal. It's easier for people with that problem to pick up on it. Yeah, and if you're, a, if you're a fan of rock and you tune it at the time they're playing jazz, you're probably going to be like, well, this isn't for me and you'll never yeah. come back. Yeah, it's no. the same thing. So uh, It's not just like not a fit. Exactly, exactly. And you just have to know who your, who your people are, you know, what your niche is, and it comes right back to that start, that 101. So um, one last question I like to ask is, it's almost like a practical um, thing that people could do, but based on, I'm always interested to know your thinking behind the answer, which is, let's say something happens in your business and you're hit by something unexpected it could be you know all of a sudden the, the tax bill comes in and it's three or four times higher than it should be or you know you're overcharged for something or you're undercharged and blah 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 you lose a big client something like that and you have to make payroll in 30 days and you have to attract a certain amount of revenue into your business in that time period how would you go about basically solving that problem in 30 days um so I would work to get people into a workshop as soon as possible. And I think 
you know, I do like an all day workshop, even, even if it was free, because when people in a workshop tuned to a specific problem, like going back to, um, you know, could be like whatever your area, your best specialty is. Uh, Cause there is something too, you can get people in, even if it's like four people, it, might not, it doesn't have to be 30 people. It might be five people. Like I've done events and dinners and things where I might've had like four people show up or 20 people or six people, right? It's, you know, you might have this artificial expectation of you want 50 and seven show up, but that is what it is. So just do your best there. It might be the right people. This more is not better. So one is workshop tuned towards helping people start to solve a problem and realizing that it should lead towards a service that you can offer to help them kind of implement the rest. And I would raise your prices. I would raise my prices. So I've already raised mine. At this so when I multiplied my income, that was partly uh, my prices went up a lot as well, just because again, when you focus on a specific niche, you have a specialty there, your price can go up kind of like mm -hmm. how much would you pay a general doctor versus how much would you pay a neurosurgeon like a specialist so where can you be a specialist absolutely and and when you realize the value of the problem that you're solving as well you wouldn't you know you, you actually realize how much you are a selling yourself short and b how much people are willing to pay to solve that problem if you can put an actual figure on it i mean some of the stuff you do that is a big problem that you solve for companies right it's worth yeah. as you've as you've got the, the the track record hundreds of millions potentially billions why so it's should a good, you you know help uh, you know uh, raise your prices in order to help people achieve that yeah so i think that's a good last point which is when you can tie what you do in some way to people making more money or saving money then it's more likely they will pay you more money so here's an example would be, let's say you do website graphics. Okay, it's great, there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, graphics and graphics versus what if you have some of your companies used your website redesigner, your graphics to try to increase their conversion rates on purchases or leads or some places where they can kind of measure their sales funnel or lead gen funnel and say, all right, and we used to get 20 leads a month or convert this certain conversion rate with uh, the redesign we're able to we're going to expect to make more money with that so that's a way to tie your work to money or if yeah. you do writing right blogs great but what if you did uh improved landing pages so any place you can tie your work to money when you can you should be able to charge more for it or at least have a um as people people want to make money so don't be afraid don't be embarrassed don't be shy to or, or learn how to get over any kind of fear and anxiety around like talking about money, revenue, how to ask for money, how to justify your prices, how to raise your prices, how to know you're worth it. You're probably worth more than you're charging. Um, Absolutely. And you can it's pretty a whole much area of, of discomfort for people. Yeah. And, and, and maybe you'll sort of discover it sort of coming over to uh, this side of the pond. I think that we are a little bit more, yeah, we can struggle with it a little bit more um, over, over here than maybe, uh, you know, back in LA. Um, but yeah. it is something that we, you know, it, it's universal of, it's universal but yeah. you're not in business you know as a charity unless you are a charity but that's a different story altogether. <laughs> even charities i'll bet any director is like my number one thing is how do i make money how do i fund this thing yeah. right that's for most entrepreneurs whether charities or not like the biggest mm -hmm. topic and stressor because if you don't have that you got nothing it's like oxygen you've got a very body. expensive hobby if you're not making money so there yeah you and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with wanting to make more money there's nothing wrong with asking to, you know, wanting to raise your prices. Um, I think in a big misconception is if I raise my prices, then either pe people won't want to buy or I'll lose out on these customers. But generally when you raise your prices or, work, or can work with bigger groups, you'll realize a lot of the customers that are, are struggle to pay you, um, are usually the hardest customers anyway, because they want to pay you a little bit and they get a lot of help. And they're dealing with maybe a, a I, I guess a, a sort of a problem that is that you know the, what people talk about in market the bleeding net problem well that's something that they need to fix whereas if you're raising your prices and you're going after people that are a certain level above it's still a need to have but it's more of an aspirational problem that they have which they have the ability to potentially pay more 
in order to do. Now, obviously, a bleeding neck is like a plumber, but you don't want to turn up and be the plumber. You want to turn up and be the guy that um, you know helps them um, you know, build their million pound mansion, right? It's it's that. Kind I haven't of heard the I haven't I haven't heard the term bleeding neck before, but yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe that's more the marketing thing in this sure. country. I don't know. Sure. Good. So, um, Aaron, I am I am massively appreciative of of you spending time with me here today, and um, I'm sure all of our listeners have uh, benefited as well. Uh, the number one thing I can suggest is go and get the book. Um, it's it's on Amazon.com. It's um, every every everywhere you can buy uh, books. Yeah, and dot co dot yeah All the Amazon in Europe. Personally, I got it on Audible. Yeah, great listen. So yeah. Yeah, and I would encourage people to start with the impossible to inevitable book. Um, this is that's a better for entrepreneurs and better place to begin. Yeah, and throughout the book as well, there's places you can go and get additional worksheets to you know really nail your niche. For example, I think I actually mm-hmm. said niche. I can't believe it. Niche. That's how we say it. Um, <laughs> I know. I know. Working in the states, we call it niche, but in yeah. Canada and Europe, it's niche. So. Yeah, that's the way it should be. I think. I don't yeah. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely, go and have a look at that and. Um, yeah, once you once you have, um, if you want to check out more of what Aaron does, um, there's the uh, the website predictablerevenue.com. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of stuff on there. And uh, is, is there anywhere else and, to connect? That you know, reach out. Uh, the predictablerevenue.com. So for the book, also fromimpossible.com is you know a landing page. You can uh, have links to different places to buy it. Best place for me, yeah, predictablerevenue.com. And I am doing all kinds of speaking in Europe this year next so sales conferences and entrepreneur conferences um so if you know one let me know or i at some point on social media i'll kind of publish lists of where i'll be speaking and lithuania slovenia uk paris copenhagen all over more i'll do more speaking this year than i ever had before well if uh yeah let me know when you're uh when you're in london and i'll um i'll definitely be along yeah. see you next uh, year that'd be yeah. amazing yeah yeah, yeah. Awesome. So Aaron, thank you ever so much for joining me. It's been a, a genuine um, pleasure to to talk with you, to pick your brain and uh, yeah, just to find out about um, what you're doing and um, well, just to hear about how uh, crazy it is living with uh, yeah, 10, 10 kids and running a business yep. and all the rest of it. It's inspiring. Yep. It genuinely is. So um, thank you ever so much. And all that's left to say is happy fishing. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks so much for tuning into the show today. I know there are a lot of podcasts you could be listening to, but you've chosen this one and I'm truly grateful for that. And if you've enjoyed this week's episode, I'd love if you could just take a few quick minutes to share your thoughts and leave an honest rating review for the show over on iTunes. It's not only important for helping others discover the show, but I also read each and every submission personally and they really do mean the world to me. So thanks very much in advance and happy fishing.